Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And I love those two thoughts because I'm tired, I'm worn, and my heart is heavy from the work it takes to keep on breathing. My soul feels crushed by the weight of this world. This was what a woman, a mother, was feeling one day. It was the day she went to find Jesus because I know that you can give me rest. So I cry out with all that I have left. Let me see redemption win. Let me know the struggle ends. That you can mend a heart that's frail and torn. I want to know a song can rise from the ashes of a broken life. And all that is dead can be reborn. Because I'm worn. It's so nice to be in Whiting again and speak to you folks. Um, I count it a privilege and an honor. I, I want you to know a little bit about the background of this message. I, I wrote it for a chapel service at the college. And I was going through a very low time, not even knowing that times would get a little bit lower in the ensuing weeks. Uh, I wrote this sermon in the midst of tears and big smiles on my face, uh, going out and speaking like I do, not preparing sermons weekly for a congregation. You just hope that you hit on something that will be helpful. And so first of all, it has to help me. And I really like this sermon. I considered it a gift. I was watching a sports show when the announcer said something about load management and associated it with a star athlete who had set out a rather important NBA basketball game. And it had sparked a heated discussion. Now, load management is defined as the deliberate temporary reduction of external physiological stresses, recommending the idea that old-fashioned rest and relaxation is supposed to improve an athlete's health, performance, and prolong their career. One former NBA great didn't care for load management. He said, if you can walk, you play. But the term, the term load management began to roll around in my mind and I found it interesting. And I thought, was that what David was talking about in the 23rd Psalm when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores 
my soul. Was David talking about load management? Was that what Jesus was talking about while teaching on prayer when he simply said that we ought to pray and not give up? That we ought to pray and not quit? Now folks, we have a powerful sworn enemy who has targeted every one of us for harm. We have a sworn enemy that has targeted every one of us for harm who does not want us to pray. And that makes some of the things we do and some of the things we get caught up in, some of the decisions we make and some of the things that sidetrack us almost unbelievable. When we have this powerful enemy that has each of us in his sights. He mocks our wisdom. He laughs at all our toiling. He will do everything he can to make stressed out Christians. He wants us to faint and not pray. Because when we do, he trembles. The devil hates it when we cast off stress through our faith and through our prayers. Years ago, Paul Harvey, the popular news uh, caster, uh, came out with, if I were the devil, and it was concerning what he would do to keep people from praying. And, and he came up, of course, with uh, the ordinary things about God. There is no God. There is a God, but he doesn't care. There's a God, but he's not powerful. But he kind of came up with this. This is what he would do to keep people from praying. He would say, you should pray. It's a good thing, but wait till tomorrow. Begin your new prayer life tomorrow. Ratchet up your prayer life tomorrow. I, I think a lot of us see ourselves having a dynamic prayer life tomorrow. Tomorrow. Which do you do the most? Pray or faint? Pray or give up. One of the things that fascinates me in following Jesus throughout his ministry are those times when he crossed paths with people like us, just like us, who stopped him dead cold in his tracks, brought him great delight, and sometimes it's almost as if they surprised him. He was the Son of God. But he was also the Son of Man. Now, it's just my opinion, but I doubt if Jesus could hide his smile from the moment that little Zacchaeus shinned down out of that sycamore tree 
from that moment that he went into his house with him and Zacchaeus came out and announced to the world, I am a changed man. I doubt that Jesus could stop smiling. The Roman centurion, remember him, came to Jesus, Matthew 8, because his servant was desperately ill. And he said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. Just say the word and he will be healed. And he was, and Jesus loved that. In fact, the text there in Matthew 8 says, Jesus was astonished. A mere man astonished him. How did a Roman centurion know that God can be here and also there? But he did. And it brought Jesus great delight. But the one that moves me most and really moved him was that day when a Gentile woman, a Canaanite woman, came to him because she had facing her in her life a horrible dilemma. Now, it will not be my purpose from here on to educate you about demons or demon possession. It will be to tell you of the faith and love of a mother whose daughter was demon possessed. Now, what a background surely was hers. What stories she could tell. Dramatic stories, sorrowful stories, sordid stories, sad, sad stories. Just think of the things that we read in Scripture about demon possession. Throwing oneself into the fire, into the water, running around naked, foaming at the mouth. Could this woman have something to say to us about load management? Could she speak to us about praying and not giving up? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 15. You have a scripture with you, beginning with verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even dogs get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. 
Now here is a woman who didn't have the luxury of load management. She had to play every day. She had to play every night. But today has come. She has got to do something today. The load has gotten too heavy. She has to find this man that some call Lord and some call the son of David and off she goes. Every step the woman takes is a prayer. Now here's what she did. Number one, she vividly had imagined. How often do you suppose she imagined her daughter normal? Polite, well-behaved, loving, dressed up all pretty, quietly reading a book, helping with the dishes or the housework. Mother-daughter talks about meeting a handsome young man, falling in love, what kind of wedding they would have. She could hear things in her mind like, Mama, which dress do you like the best? And one day, a little grandchild. Just think how many times her dreams had come crashing down as reality raised its ugly head again and again and again. Someone said, before you can pray it, you have to see it. And in spite of everything, this woman is still seeing it. Now what about you? What about us this morning? Marriage, family, church, health, finances. What do you see as you look across your tomorrows to what you know you cannot possibly, possibly get through it except by prayer. I see several of those these days. And what is there out there that you can see, that you're yearning for, that excites you and fills you with hope and you can see it and you're praying it and you're believing it and you know God can do it. I heard a sermon, a good sermon before Christmas called Now Till Then. It was about Mary being told she was pregnant even though she had not been with a man, that it was by the Holy Spirit, that was now. She was told she would give birth to the Messiah. That was then. Now till then. What will she do from now till then? Worry and fret and doubt and and fidget and stew? No. She went from now till then worshiping, praising God, her, her marvelous Magnificat. She chose to worship and believe from now till then. Well, uh, that got me thinking. I'll guess every one of us 
how the now till then issue we're facing. This is now. Somewhere up there is then. And the big question is, what will I do between now and then? When I was working on this sermon, I happened to hear two world-class tenors sing, It is well with my soul. I know probably that you know the story behind the writing of that hymn. But let's look at it in, in the framework of now till then. H.G. Spafford and his wife and four daughters had planned a trip to England. Some last-minute things came up, and H.G. Spafford could not join his wife and daughters on that journey. He would take care of business and join them later. And so the wife and the four daughters took off sailing for England. Not too long out at sea, they were rammed by an iron sailing vessel and the ship sank and so many people were lost. H.G. Spafford received a wire from his wife with two words, saved four daughters, perished. He got his affairs in order and he set sail for England. The captain invited him into his quarters and said, I, I just want you to know, Mr. Spafford, that we're right now over the place where the accident happened. I thought you'd like to know. Spafford says he went back to his cabin and he fought doubt and depression and anger. Here he is now in the ocean then is a wife alone. What will H.G. Spafford do between now and then? He wrote, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord, haste the day when this Faith will be sight. The clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Here we are today, August the 2nd, 2020. One day we will all die. What will we do between now and then? Well, this woman of our story vividly imagined, and she secondly, ardently desired. If you had a demon-possessed child, how great would your desire be for the child to be set free? Ardent prayer comes out of ardent desire. The Bible teaches that. Remember Jacob, he wrestled. He wrestled 
all night with God. What was his passionate plea? I won't let you go till you bless me. Paul prayed ardently on three great occasions that the thorn in his flesh be removed. But the most ardent prayer ever prayed on this planet was the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus cried, Oh God, Oh Father, isn't there some other way out of this thing? Now, let's take a closer look at this woman. Who is she? And what has happened in her perhaps most recent past that has brought her to Jesus? Was there a super ugly incident? Was there the straw that finally broke the camel's back? Was it a night of ear piercing and gut-wrenching, screaming, foaming at the mouth, throwing herself down, throwing off her clothes? The distinguishing characteristic of demon possession is the complete loss of reason, a complete loss of willpower, actions and words are, and thoughts are all controlled, mastered by the demon. And it's got this woman perhaps saying, I can't go on like this anymore. And she does a little screaming of her own. I can't do this. And then she collapses and softly. Now fast forward to that moment when she is close enough for Jesus to hear her. She has vividly imagined, she has ardently desired. How long, Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How many days? How many nights? And then she begins to cry and her cry is a prayer. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and is suffering terribly. And Jesus does not answer her a word. What? What? Jesus is silent. And it's an awkward silence. Some people don't like silence. The disciples speak up. You notice how the disciples can get kind of out there when they think they know better than Jesus what Jesus should do? Send her away. This obnoxious Gentile woman is getting on our nerves. Send her away. Not a word from Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? You cried out to the Lord, nothing happened, nothing moved, nothing changed. And when he did speak, he said, I wasn't sent for your kind. You're a Gentile. I was sent to the Jews. Well, that pretty much puts a wrap on things, doesn't it? Because for sure, she is not a Jew. Does she bow her head and feel a sense of hopelessness and agony greater than she has ever known? No. Not for this woman. For this woman, it's not over till it's over. And for her, it is not over. She goes and kneels down and prays, Oh Lord, help me. 
And he says, would it be a good thing to take bread that belongs to children and toss it to a dog? Well, that's got to be it. That, that's, that's got to finish it. If we didn't know Jesus better, we would say he's adding insult to injury. Now, Canaanite woman, now Canaanite woman, how's your imagination? Canaanite woman, how ardent are you now? Canaanite woman, how's your faith now? Well, folks, in a word, unwavering. She sincerely believed. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Now, listen to how much this woman believes. And I'm going to dare to put some words in her mouth that I believe she had tossed around in her mind again and again. Yes, Lord, I hear you. And I believe everything you've said. I've thought about all that that you've said before. And I'm not here begging for my daughter's life because of me or anything I've ever done. Nothing in my hands I bring. I know who I am, Lord. It's what's kept me from coming before now. Now, there is a question out there still on the table. It's that zinger that Jesus hit her with, and it has to have an answer. Would it be right to take children's bread and toss it to their dogs? And she answers, yes! The Canaanite woman says, yes, because even dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What is she saying? I need you so much. I believe in you so much. If you'll just toss this Gentile dog a few crumbs, it will be all we need and my daughter will be healed. Now this is me. This is the way I see it. This is the way I feel it. Jesus was taken aback. He was thrilled. He was happy. Her response touched him so deeply. And I can almost hear him say, Well, will you just look at this woman? Will you just look and listen to this woman? And he said to her, woman, great is your faith. Your prayer has healed. My, what glorious, glorious words. Think of how that must have sounded. You can buy her a pretty new dress now. She can make friends. She can go to parties and have sleepovers. And you can take her out to eat and take her to church and you don't have to hide her anymore. And when other mothers brag on their children, you can join right in. You don't have to sleep with one eye open. 
lurching out of bed at every sound. You can get a sitter and go to a movie. She can go to school. One day she'll meet a nice young man and be married and give you grandchildren. Dear woman, great is your faith. I've preached to you about 27 minutes to say this. In this time we live in, this testing, troublesome times, something like this is possible if we pray and don't give up. I have to add a postscript to the sermon. I love the story of this Canaanite woman. She's really something. But the real hero of the story is Jesus. I had this thought about the night he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out to God. His cry, uh, his cry had to do with load management. A heavy load. There was never it was and there never will be a heavier one. But he would not sit this one out. He would play. So stressed that he sweat as it were great drops of blood, but he would play. Thank God he did. Thank God that after Jesus said, Father, I'm hurting so much, my soul is so sorrowful unto death, Father, I'm so homesick. He also said, but I am going to play. Father, I'm not going to sit this one out. I'm going to play. Thank God he did.